This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this Monday show, we've got plenty of basketball and plenty of softball and plenty of news from track and field and tennis and golf. It was a packed weekend of action on USF Bulls Unlimited. Unfortunately, not too many wins as both the men's basketball team after a great first half and a career day from Corey Walker and then the women in a wild Sunday game for the first time get beat in conference play. Softball looked like it was headed to a victory on Friday evening and then we'll play the one highlight of a stunning moment where things kind of turned around. The Bulls did gain a victory on Sunday as weather impacted the schedule. We'll lay it all out for you, but USF in the end starts off 2-3. and three. We'll also tell you more records falling for track and field as far as school records go. Tennis on the men's side, a weird weekend, a loss, and a match that was supposed to get played that didn't. The women split a pair on the road, and men's golf gets going with a sixth-place finish in Gainesville. So, yep, for the first time, the women's basketball team loses in conference play. It was a crazy game. It was a dramatic game, and, you know, you got to say that first. When you win certain things that the other team doesn't do that— Don't even register when you lose. Certain things that you don't do kind of jump into the front of your mind, and there's a bunch of what-ifs. Well, we had those at the end. Let's start with the beginning, though. Again, Houston coming to town at 9-13 overall, but second in the conference. They lost a bunch of close games out of conference, but they're 6-3 in the league. One of their close losses in conference was to the Bulls in Houston by two. This team is third in the country, enforcing turnovers, 25 per game with their pressure defense. They trap you at midcourt. Sometimes they full-court pressure you. Well, the Bulls only, quote-unquote, turned it over 19 times, which is actually the first time in about a month that Houston hasn't forced at least 20. But they were definitely in the Bulls' business right from the start. That's how they usually win the games, not with their three-point shooting. They're in the bottom 50 in that category, even though Layla Blair is a dynamic, electric scorer, and Brittany Onyejay, their number two three-point threat, is a streaky shooter. Well, not many games this year were they both hitting, that's for sure. But on this day, everybody was hitting threes. And if you hadn't watched Houston that often... You wouldn't know it, but if Blair and Onion J make their first few, it could be a long day. Now the Bulls would battle back, but the start set the tone. One voice you will not hear is that of Jose Fernandez. He was a game-time decision due to medical reasons. He was not at his best. He was seated, doctor's orders, throughout this one. Michelle Woods-Baxter was the acting coach, and all the coaches could see what we were seeing. You could hear my voice when Blair hits her first three that Houston is coming to play. And now Precis almost gets it stolen by Hill. Lane opens up. That's a tough long two. Kind of they forced her into that difficult shot. Houston trails the Bulls 5-4. Looks to run the other way. Blair, it's going up, and it's going down. Layla Blair is feeling it early, and that is a scary sign. She has all seven of their points. It's 7-5. to That is a scary sign. you got to look for that dump to Dulce, right? She is open. She's getting good position, but they are not able to see it. Wilson, guarded by Onyeje, over to Brito, thinks about a three drive. That's another tough look and banks it in. Carla Brito ends a scoring drought of more than three minutes for the Bulls. They tie it at seven. Well, we'll take it. We'll take it there. It was a little bit of a rush shot, I think, unexpected, but, but we'll take it. You know, I'm impressed so far with Layla Blair's uh, range. And Brittany, <laughs> we saw it, Brittany. She just made a three and made sure everybody knew by putting up the three. She is a streaky shooter, 
And for the Bulls' concerns, you hope the next one doesn't go down. That one makes it 10-7. Dulcie was open for a look, but Brito was already in rhythm. So is Layla Blair, and she knocks it out. Layla Blair is just on fire right now. She is four for five. She has 10 points. That's her second three, and it's 13-7. And by the way, she's not doing any sort of gesticulating or making it look like she's in some sort of zone. She just is. Now Chernecki with two players on her, gets it across midcourt. Ariel Wilson goes in for a shot, gets it blocked by Tatiana Hill. Cougars looking to run. Blair off to Onyeje, going up, swish, and it's 16 to seven. In addition to the hot shooting, Houston had the offensive rebounding edge. It was not a good combination of events. In fact, at one point it was 6-2 in favor of the Cougars on the offensive glass they would actually go nearly two full quarters without an offensive rebound. So the Bulls would start to pick it up. But even when they finally hit their first three, at which point, by the way, the Cougars had already made six. As you'll hear in our second quarter medley, Houston had every answer, including a stunner at the end of the half. 28-21, Houston with the lead. They had missed their last five shots. Four minutes to go in the first half. Janaki over to Puisis is going up quick. Knocks it down. There you go. The moment you've been waiting for and... That ball was out of her hand quickly. It's 28-24. Yeah, she got herself squared, which she's so good at doing. Got the ball and released it. She didn't hesitate, which was nice. A town on the shot clock. Young, another long two. A line a drive, no good. Goals. And Patterson, uncontested rebound and knocks it in. Second chance points are not huge, but seven to two. They keep getting those second chances. Seems like the offensive rebounds are more than five to one. They're shooting 53%, but again, it's about the shot attempts. And Blair makes another three. Just easy doing. One simple screen, and it's a 10-point margin. 35-25 with 2.20 to go. This is a positive situation if you're a Houston fan. Puisis had it. Fake the three, tried a long two, and just out of rhythm. Now running as we near the two-minute mark to Onyeje in the corner. Knock it down. Brittany Onyeje, the latest Cougar to make a three. They are eight for 15, and it's 38-25. Bulls can't hold for one here. They will get it to start the second half, so a score here would be nice. Get it to 10, or perhaps single digits. It's 40 and 28. 18 on the shot. Dulcie whips it across to Brito. She wants to take. Oh, Dulcie just flashed. Now they get it to her. They double-team her immediately. Puts it on the floor, and... Almost turns it over, but out to Puisis for three. That's a big shot right there. Could have been a turnover. It kicked out to Maria. She whipped it to Sammy, and it's 40 to 31. Don't let Blair touch the ball. Uh-oh. She gets it across midcourt. She's going to get off a shot. Knocks it down. A 40-footer at the horn, and that's just the way it is going today. Not sure if it was the national television thing. This was the first time Houston had played on a Super Bowl Sunday in about 10 years. Whatever it was, Layla Blair was putting on a show. She had 22 points in the first half, but she wasn't alone. As we'll talk about later on this afternoon on Around the American, Tulsa had basically an identical performance in its first half and yet was down by 15 at halftime to Tulane, which was a very interesting result, which, again, we'll do later on on Around the American. So it can't just be a one-person show, but certainly Blair was the star of this particular half. And still with all of that, the Bulls managed to get right back in the game. They were down by 49-36 to after Blair hit an early three in the second half, but they got to the free throw line a bunch. Boy, would free throws and fouls be a story in the second 20 minutes. But in and around that, the Bulls, led by Elena Chinecki, got back into it. Trying to make it back to single digits here near the midway point of the quarter. 
Greasis wants the ball, Brito takes it. You better score there, and you do. Carla Brito with her left hand, passed on the open teammate. She now has eight points. She's actually hit 50% from the floor, which is, by the way, the Bulls' number. They are right on 50%, but the other team has eight more threes, and that's been the difference, 49 to 40. Bulls are a 2-3 zone, but they're just going to swallow up Blair. Oh, it's a block by Priestess. Dulce gets the rebound. Nice job there. Maria up the court to Chinecki. Three, looks good, it is. Elena Chinecki drops it in, and it's a six-point game. That was it from the start. Going up shot, and now the crowd is going to get involved in this one. Crowd definitely was into it. The support was awesome. The effort was great. Chinecki had 11 points in that third quarter. Six for six at the free throw line. The Bulls out-rebounded Houston in the third quarter, 14 to two. Now, when you are getting a lot of free throws, you're not really concerned that the other team isn't, but pointing out that through three quarters, Houston had been called for 21 fouls to the Bulls seven. Now, throughout the course of the year, because they're attacking defense, Houston has been called for about 150 more fouls than its opponent, so that's nothing new, but it's almost like the officials took notice because, and credit to the other side, Layla Blair only hit one three in that third quarter. They did not make it three in the fourth. Why? Because they were too busy driving to the lane and getting a bunch of calls. But before it got to the frustrating part, listen to how the crowd got involved here as the Bulls finally completed the comeback to tie the score. But then after, again, nearly 20 minutes without an offensive rebound, Houston gets one and the effort in the end is what got the Cougars the victory. And this was just an example right after the Bulls again had tied the score. Young steps back for a two, rims out. That's nice to see. And Danny Gonzalez has been out there for quite a bit. Flies in for the rebound. Now they push it to two on one. Quises takes her defender for the tie. Yeah! Quee for three, baby! And we are tied for the first time since seven to seven. 7.25 to go in the fourth quarter. Puisis for three with her third make. And Michelle Woods-Baxter hands her play card to Bridget and is clapping for some defense right now. Watch out for Anya and Jay. She likes to pull. Blair has a 10 on the shot clock. Chinecki out on her. Crowd is just going crazy right now. Chinecki four, falls down three. four on the shot clock. Anya and Jay long three. No good. Battle for the board. Hill wins it. They get it back out to Anya and Jay. And there's seven minutes to go in this game. A rare offensive rebound, though, after a quick start in that category. Bridget still has Michelle Woods-Baxter's play sheet. Really felt at that time that the Bulls were going to finish the job. But once again, credit the opponent. They were just making enough plays, not the spectacular shooting, but really gutsy plays. They've been in a lot of close games and, frankly, had lost a lot of close games. They had blown people out, 82-36 recently against Tulane. We already mentioned that. They beat UCF 80-42, to held Cincinnati to 39 points. In their conference games, Houston's opponents were not scoring 51 points a game. The Bulls got them for 69, so it really was a great effort. But as I said at the beginning, sometimes in a close game, both teams put out the good effort and just one makes a few more plays. Definitely a couple of foul calls specifically that benefited the Cougars, but remember, it was 21-7 in the Bulls' favor. And their head coach, Ron Huey, no doubt was dropping some hints in the officials' ears, and guess what? They were shooting the bonus with 6.44 to go in the game, and it completely turned around. The Bulls entering the fourth quarter had been 16 for 22 at the free throw line, while Houston, less than half the attempts, and they weren't exactly hitting them. It was three for nine, as much as they were shooting great from the field. Fourth quarter, nine free throw makes on Houston's side, 
just three for five for the Bulls. Still, you got to credit the other team, especially on defense and hustle. Houston turned it over. It was a three-point game. Carla Brito tried a one-on-two, got it poked from behind off her for a key, get it back to the Cougars. Then, Elena Chinecki in a three-point game, drives the lane, gets her shot rejected. Finally, Houston misses in the final minute. Sammy Puises, who's been great on the glass, good position, goes up for the board, but a Houston player, without fouling her, comes from behind and ties her up, and yes, the possession arrow favored the Cougars. So three-point game, the Bulls have to foul. Cougars were leaving some points on the line. It was a four-point game. Boy, did they give the Bulls a chance fouling Elena Chinecki, but only 4.9 seconds left on the clock when she converted the three-point play. It meant that the Bulls were going to have to go a long way. Here's the thing. They called a couple of timeouts before the late stages when things were getting a little ragged. They could have definitely used one of those timeouts at the end. They had to foul quickly. Houston got to the line with four seconds left. So it was a one-point game. You knew the Bulls were going to have a chance. The Cougars miss one, make the second. At this point, if you didn't have to call those two timeouts earlier in the half, you can get to midcourt and have a great chance at maybe even a tying, if not winning, bucket. Instead, you had to go 94 feet with four seconds left, and that did not work well. Bulls have it underneath their own basket. They are calling a play. I'm going to guess it's for Maria Alvarez, but I wouldn't mind seeing Chinecki get the ball with four seconds left. They are defending the inbounding pass by Carla Brito. Go go. Go to the ball. They get it to Dulcie, and she can't get rid of it. Chinecki's going to have to put up a 75-foot shot. Boy, that was a little bit of a letdown. The Bulls were in position to pull off something there, but they just did not run a very effective play. Like I said earlier, when you lose a close game, certain moments stand out. That was one. So as a, did they really have to call it technical foul on Michelle Woods-Baxter when it was just a two-point game and the Bulls had actually forced a turnover? It was a pretty big moment, and Coach Woods-Baxter spoke about it afterwards, specifically the play and also what it was like with Jose Fernandez there, but unable really to move around that much like it was really hard and and it was hard because I'm trying to to hear what he's saying to tell them and then you know and then coach them up on one end and yeah I think got a little bit a little bit caught up there and uh yeah when they caught me out of the box but but yeah I mean it's tough for him of course it is you know because he's has has a lot you know going he's trying to to go sweep through the conference and Yeah, so, you know, it, it was tough, you know, for the fact that he even came here um, is huge, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just the type of person he is. Yeah, he wasn't feeling well, but he knew for the kids, you know, he needed to be here, but it was tough. I'm sure it was tough. Don't think that coach will be fully recovered, but I'm guessing he'll be there on Wednesday night as the Bulls play in Orlando. USF routed the Knights in Tampa. I'm sure this will be a little bit closer of a game, but did you see UCF managed to lose a game the other day when their opponent, Memphis, was 15 for 79 from the floor. UCF is obviously struggling on offense. Bulls, because of their loss Sunday, cannot clinch the outright conference championship on Wednesday night. But, on a positive, they can at home. On Saturday, by the way, the new net rankings came out. The Bulls did not drop that much from 30 to 32. But you fear that just one conference loss, and yeah, they're 11-1 and in league, and they're still 22-5 and five overall, is going to cost the Bulls a spot in the voted-on rankings. We'll find out about the writer's opinion on Monday afternoon. Elena Chinecki, 24 points, 9-9 nine nine at the line. She was the only Bull to attempt more than two field goals in the fourth quarter. Obviously, she wanted it. By the way, they were really hounding Sammy Puises. She still made three threes and scored 10 along with Carla Brito. Fanka Mengiadu, 19 points. 
and 19 rebounds. Unfortunately, 5 of 10 at the line. But then again, Houston shot 52% at the line. Bulls shot 52% from the floor. Houston only 41, but two things. Houston made 11 threes, seven more than the Bulls did, and they had 14 extra attempts due to the turnovers and such. 71-69 Houston wins. Bulls look to get back on the right track on Wednesday. Four conference games left to go. We just heard Layla Blair go off for 30 points. Cincinnati didn't have one player. They just had their whole team do that in the second half after the Bulls had a great first half. Those highlights, softball, golf, tennis, track and field, don't go anywhere. Bulls beat continues. Back to the beat. Bulls beat continues with Derek Sharp. We had a lot going on this weekend with the basketball and with the softball. We'll get to the latter in just a second. In Cincinnati, the Bulls were outstanding in the first half. Remember, they were out of it. They got outscored by 18 in the first meeting between the teams back at the Yingling Center. The Bulls did not let that happen. They had a stretch of seven makes in a row, and doing a lot of making in the first half was one Corey Walker. Here's a little bit of how Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnston called the action Saturday night. Drifting right, into contact, now into the paint. Tries to step through, gets loose, missed it too strong. Put back by Corey Walker is good. Corey to the free throw line and a chance to tie this game at 16. There it is with 8.45 to go in the first half. Left side pass, Davenport elevates and fires a three that's good. And that's their first make from beyond the arc today after an 0 for 7 start. Keep shooting it, they're bound to go in. Guama, entry pass taken away by Corey Walker. Gets it off to Tyler Harris. Here's Tyler. One-handed pass on the perimeter to Conwell. Now back to Walker. Wide open for three. Loads it up. Fires. Good! Corey Walker's got his first double-digit scoring performance this season, and he's done it in 12 and a half minutes. Unbelievable pass by Tyler Harris. One-handed, left-handed pass through traffic to Ryan Conwell, who dished to Corey Walker, who buried a three. That was like Globetrotter stuff. 19-19 tie. 7.43 to go in the first half. Here's Tyler Harris. Bulls down by three. Gets it to Walker. He stops. He pivots. He fires. He's got a career high of 13 points. Tyler out near the logo. Goes around two guys. Gets the elbow. Pass inside to Walker. Reverse layup. Good. And he got fouled. And a huge fist pump by the head coach right in front of us because that's what he told Tyler to do previously. They are collapsing on Harris when he drives in, and that's leaving people open. That play was just a thing of beauty. The Celt Miguel, he shakes free to the baseline. Now to Jake Boggs, wide open, straight three. Good! Splash down from the kid from Charlotte. Great, great opportunity there for Jake Boggs as the ball gets cycled back out to the top of the key, and he makes it. And the Bulls now have two of five from three-point range tonight. USF down one with exactly a minute to go in the first half. They want to enter it in down low, and they're waving off Landers Nolly. Julius is asking for a screen. He's going to step into a three. That's no good. Fight for the rebound on the backside is controlled by Selton Miguel. Here comes Selton. He's got his head up. Here come the Bulls. Three on three. He's going to the basket. He got fouled. He throws it up. Oh, it bounced on the rim twice and fell off. Man, just not enough English on the ball. He, he threw it high off the glass, and it just couldn't quite spin in the basket. I don't know who was trying to contort their body more to get that ball in. You or Brian Gregory, you were both doing the same thing. Just under 45 seconds to go in the first half. The shooting percentage for USF is creeping up, Joey. They're at 44% now. They've made six shots in a row. Second free throw by Selton is also good, and the Bulls have the lead 35-34. This is one of their best three or four minute offensive sequences of this season. Outlet pass to Tyler Harris, shot clock is off. Bulls can hold for the final shot with 10 seconds to go. 
Here's Tyler on the logo. Clock is down to six. He's got to go. Does he recognize? He's got to go. It's three seconds. He's still on the logo. Two seconds. He steps into a long three. Got it! <laughs> Tyler Harris bails out the Bulls again. This was a deep, deep, deep three. So that's one where if you're going to pick just one half to listen to on the replay of the game, it's pretty obvious, unless you're a Cincinnati fan. The first half, that would be the one that saw the Bulls up 38-34. to 34. By the way, both teams started off 4 for 17, so someone was bound to heat up. And it was Walker and the Bulls. He was 6 for 9, scored 16 points, and Cincinnati was just 3 of 13 on threes. That would turn around in the second half. Not going to give you a bunch of highlights, but they would put up 50, and this is just a little bit of the vibe that the Bearcats were giving off and that Jim and Joy were capturing appropriately. Micah Adams-Woods, lefty going left, gets into the paint, now kicks it on the perimeter. Skillings, three ball, nothing but the bottom of the net. Wow. It's craziness for the Bearcats right now. They just they simply can't miss. And Cincinnati gets the rebound. Here comes DeJulius back the other way. Kicks it right side. In the corner it goes. Another wide open three. Of course he made it. Micah Adams-Woods makes that one. And I mean everybody in the building is making threes now for Cincinnati. Do I sound discouraged, disappointed? I am because the Bulls played a tremendous first half of basketball. Joey had a four-point lead. USF did indeed play a great first half, but Cincinnati has proceeded to play an even greater second half. Sorrell gets into the paint. He got it ripped out of his hand, picked up by Corey Walker. Shot goes down by Corey Walker from nine feet, and he's kind of laughing going on the floor because he's seeing a manhole cover up there. Yep, and again, we've said it before, but Corey's having an incredible game, but others need to follow in his footsteps because Corey's kind of a one-man offensive show right now. He's the only bull in double figures with 23. USF with a 2-3 zone. They're trying anything they can think of defensively. Down 13 with six and a half to go. Davenport wide open for three, and he makes that. And when Davenport got the ball in his hands, Brian Gregory bowed his head before Davenport even attempted a shot. He knew it was going in. Davenport is a 31% three-point shooter. He's made four tonight. You know, we talk sometimes in the Bulls' close losses this year about how the free throw shooting killed them. Cincinnati was one for four on free throws in the second half. But you overcome that by shooting 21 for 32. That's nearly 66%. That's seven of 10 on threes from the floor. That was their second half performance. At one time, they missed their first shot in the second half. They would go on to make 18 of their next 23. That little sequence you heard was part of six straight, and that's how you end up blowing a team out. 84 to 69, the Bulls themselves were one of nine on threes in the second half. They fall into 10th place for the time being. That's next to last. They'll play the last place team Wednesday at Tulsa. 10th place, is actually better than 8th or ninth. I've been saying it for a while. Call me crazy. I know you don't aim for next to last, but because of the fact that if you're in the 8-9 spot, it puts you right up against Houston in the conference tournament, I'd say stay there if you can, <laughs> if you can't jump into 7th. But the Bulls, obviously, are going to have to pull it off the conference tournament, whatever their seat ends up being. Corey Walker, 25 points and an absolute career performance. When we last left you, the softball team had beaten Michigan, and now on a Friday, looked like they were going to go to 2-0. Got a couple of big hits from Emma Humplick, including a go-ahead extra base knock. Ribbon breaker in this game back in the bottom of the first. Sheehan staying put. The ball is lined, and it's going to go fair down the left field line. Rounding third is Sheehan, and she should score. She does. What a day already for Emma Humplick. Her second run scoring hit. 
And it's two to one Bulls, an RBI double. Positive, the Bulls are getting production from their catchers, their bevy of catchers between she and Lydia Castro, who played some first base, and Ryan Eigeman, who's yet to get it going, the transfer, but you can see she's got that bat talent. Well, Josie Foreman, it looks like, is injured and a little bit more seriously than we thought. We'll let you know if we find out when she's expected to come back, but that's a big bat the Bulls are without. Generally, the offense struggled this weekend. The inability to tack on against Boston College crushed them there. They had to nurse that lead from the fourth until the seventh. A freshman, Jaden Martinez, came on in the third and gave them three scoreless innings. Turned it over to Lexi Kopko. Couldn't quite close the deal. Lefty on lefty, who had never hit a home run. This is her fourth year in college. In the top of the seventh, this is what happened. Oh, that ball's crushed. Deep to right field. Might be out of here. It is. And Boston College has taken the lead. <laughs> a three-run home run by Abigail Knight. And the Bulls can't finish the deal. It's 4-2. to two. They went down in order in the bottom of the seventh against Susanna Anderson. Boston College beat the Bulls twice, 4-2. to two. They follow that up the next morning, Saturday morning. Abigail Knight hit her second home run in the first inning. They were up 2-0, and that was it. They won 2-1. And then, by the way, Susanna Anderson, who would get the complete game both times against the Bulls, faced the Gators and didn't get anybody out. Faced five batters. They all scored. And Florida was kind of the class of this field. Beat Boston College 9-0. So after the Bulls on Friday lost that stunner, you could just see it carried over to the next game. Offense, there wasn't much life. The life was on the other side. Boston U was facing the Bulls' transfer from Lehigh, Gabriella Nori. Well, Nori is the pitcher who shut them out in Boston last year, 1-0, to win the Patriot League title and make it to the NCAA tournament and end BU's run of three straight NCAAs. So you can see why Ken Erickson wanted to go with Nori, but also... There was some revenge on Boston's mind, and they got it. Big inning was the five-run fourth. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw me put out the video of the pivotal moment. It was a 2-2 pitch, bases loaded. Nori, I thought, caught the inside corner. Borderline for sure. Easily could have been called a punch out, and instead it wasn't. And Boston University would get hit by the next pitch and would later clear the bases with a triple. Now, BU's offense is legit. In fact... It scored two runs against the Gators. No one else did, 11-2, immediately following Boston's run rule 8-0 win against the Bulls. Casey Ricard, the fantastic freshman who blanked the Bulls, gave up two homers against the Gators, by the way. That was in relief of the Patriot League Pitcher of the Year from last year, Allison Boaz, who gave up a five-spot herself. But 11-2 is pretty close when it comes to the Gators because we go to Saturday and Florida beat Illinois State 21-0. Softball, not football. There wasn't much chance that the Bulls scheduled games on Saturday was going to get played, but we would have at least started it if Florida had been, like it was for the first couple games, the home team on the scoreboard. But instead, they were the visitors, so they batted in the top of the fifth. They had only batted four innings in their run rule victories to that point, and they put up 10 runs, which took a little time. So about three minutes before the Bulls and St. Joseph's were supposed to begin, the rain came and Saturday's action was wiped out, meaning they basically sent the Gators home. The Bulls will make up that game in mid-April and the Bulls played the other two teams that were going to play each other Sunday. That'd be 
Boston College and St. Joe's. And they started off with St. Joe's. We were supposed to broadcast the game. Long story short, it was my fault. They had packed up my broadcast location. I didn't tell them I was coming Sunday. When I showed up, they tried to help me out, but too much technical stuff that had to be whipped together at the last moment. Probably for the best, because it was miserable. It was cold. It was windy. My broadcast location actually would have gotten drenched by a brief downpour. So the only regret was... If Peyton Dixon had thrown a no-hitter and we didn't have it on the air, and I was right there, she gave up just one hit. It was with one out in the fifth. Lydia Castro, with the wind blowing out, blasted a two-run homer in the third. The Bulls win 4-0. That then Boston College. Bulls come back from down 2-0 to tie it, force extras. International tiebreaker rule, you get a runner on second. Both teams scored in the eighth. Then that Abigail Knight character hit a two-RBI double. Bulls were down 5-3. They started off the bottom of the ninth again with the runner on second, with a double play. So BC was going to win 5-3, but the Bulls scrounged together a run. Alyssa Reno, the transfer from St. Pete College in RBI, and the tying run gets to second. But Susanna Anderson, who pitched the complete game, finished them off with a 136-pitch performance, and BC leaves town 4-1. The Bulls start the weekend 2-3. Clearly, two close losses could have been completely flipped around, as would have been those records. Interesting stat from that game, the Bulls were 13 for 24 in advancement opportunities. In other words, whether the run comes in or not, you advance the runner when there's a chance with a runner on base. But in actual hits with runners in scoring position, just two for 11, two for 19 with the runners on base. So a lot of moving the runners over, but not enough bringing them in. The Bulls stranded 12 in that game. Actually, so did BC. The Bulls used six different pitchers. Gabby Norrie took the loss. Just two earned runs in three and two-thirds innings, six Ks. And by the way, Jaden Martinez, three and a third scoreless innings. So Dixon and Martinez, two freshmen, you got something there. Now you got to get the offense going a little bit and try and do it against four very difficult opponents in Clearwater this weekend, by the way, where yours truly will be to bring you those broadcasts. Women's tennis definitely has some talent. They split a player on the road this past weekend, overcoming a loss in the doubles point to defeat Florida Atlantic Bulls. Had to win four singles matches and did so a lot of tight ones. The clincher came in a third set tiebreaker by the freshman from Ireland, Cleona Walsh. Also scoring victories, Grace Schumacher, 6-2-7-5 at the one spot. Sierra Berry in a three-setter, rolls in the third, 6-1. Laura Pelissé won a first-set tiebreaker in a straight-set victory. So the Bulls were getting some clutch-up type of stuff. And again, Walsh rolled on Sunday at FGCU. Berry won, but that was it. The Bulls fell 4-2. Men's tennis, sometimes when you schedule strong, you're going to lose more than you win, and that's what's going on with those guys. Four and seven is their record. They lost for a third straight time Friday at Cornell. That was five to two. Despite winning the doubles point, Cornell would do the job in singles. Alvin Todorica was the only bull with a victory, and that was in a third set super tiebreaker after the result was wrapped up. Then the Bulls were supposed to play Columbia on Sunday. Had to be indoors because New York in February And Columbia had to cancel its matches last weekend, including its big opener of its new facility, newly constructed facility against Tennessee. The construction wasn't completed. So the Bulls went all the way up to New York to play two matches. Cornell beat them. By the way, Cornell is 6-0, and they never got a chance to play Columbia, which in its previous match had won at Alabama, so that was going to be another tough one. Bulls are at VCU later this week. And the men's golf team ends up in sixth place at the Gator Invitational. Not bad out of 14 teams after a slow start. Best round was the middle round, a 279. 14 over. The Gators were 14 under. 
The Gators B team finished in second place at even. Don't know if that's more obnoxious or impressive, but if you couldn't tell, it was hosted by the Florida Gators. The other three teams in the field that were ranked in the top 40 just so happened to be the ones that finished third, fourth, and fifth right in front of the Bulls, who were led by Sam Nicholson. He finished in eighth place, even par for his three rounds. Jake Peacock right behind him in the top 10 at one over, and Shuby Joglon top 15 finish at three over par. Wow, that was a lot to recap from the weekend. No time for those interviews that we've been having, but we'll do some more track and field conversations later this week, and tomorrow we will load you up with baseball as that season is rapidly approaching. In fact, tomorrow will be a heavily interview-based show as I give myself a little time. It's been kind of a crazy few days. But hey, that's why we're here, to bring you Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Thanks for listening. Horns up.